listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 353 and 354 of Fed by Ravens, where we are walking through the scriptures in one year, chapter by chapter, following the major story arc. It's been fun. Where are we today, Matt, as we are so close to uh, celebrating Christmas, the new year, and finishing uh, the Bible? Our Old Testament reading for today is Ezra chapter 4, verse 6 through chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra! What a great name. Yeah, so... We are getting a history of what was going on before even Ezra gets there. Mm-hmm. This is like 50 years before he gets there. Um, and so the exiles have just returned to Jerusalem. They started rebuilding. They've laid the foundations of the temple. And they're finding out that their neighbors are not too stoked on them being there. Well, they already did not include them yes. in the rebuilding. Because uh, the neighbors saw, okay, an opportunity to partner with people who are highly motivated, mm-hmm. and maybe you can make some money and have some power and right. make a deal. But the, the people of God were ready to say, no way, we're not mixing, we are worshiping the true and only God, thus uh, upsetting the neighbors, who are, by the way, under the rule of Cyrus or Xerxes or Darius, I think, at this point. Yes. So what? So they write a letter. Yeah, so we'll in chapter in chapter four actually, what chapter four gets a little um, off chronology. So what, but what it's showing in chapter four, and I'm just connecting this right now. Good, is I love it. the people of the surrounding nations. Every time there was a power shift, every time a new king came around, uh, the new governors or the current governors would rewrite letters. Yeah, they to the new king and say hey, we don't really want these people here. And so um, uh, there's Darius gets a letter, uh, Xerxes or Asuerus gets a letter, and his son Artaxerxes gets a letter. Got it. And so they're just throwing letters. And so one of the big letters that we get is to Artaxerxes in Chapter 4, which is actually uh, uh, when who uh, the reign who Ezra is under. Okay. And so... Artaxerxes gets a letter, and the people, the governors of the surrounding land say, hey, we've done some research on these people, and they're pretty rebellious. Like, the reason this whole town was destroyed, this whole city was destroyed, was because they were rebellious people. You should look up in your uh, histories and see if that's true. And uh, Artaxerxes looks it up, and is like, oh, it is true. Don't let them build the wall. And so at this point, during Artaxerxes' reign, the temple is already rebuilt, and but they're building the walls. And so the neighboring uh, people come and destroy all the walls that they've rebuilt, and the walls stop for a while. How long did it stop? Like, when he hears their letter, and the king decrees, and then the surrounding places go and make them stop. So did you know? I couldn't figure out Okay, so for the, that's for the wall. Right. And the wall stops years or until, yeah, until Ezra hits the scene. So it's like... Uh, I don't know exactly, but I think it's like seven. Okay. Um, but the uh, temple, from the time Cyrus decreed it to yeah. the time that it was actually finished, it, it was a 20-year delay. And so the chronology of kings goes Cyrus, Cambrus, 
uh, uh, Darius, okay. Xerxes, Artaxerxes. And so it, it halts from uh, Cyrus to Darius. And then, then we get, um, that's when, in, during Darius's time, and we move into chapter 5, and we get Haggai and Zechariah, whose uh, prophecies we've read, and they show up and re-encourage and reinvigorate the people and say, hey, we need to rebuild. I know people are telling us not to, and we've been told not to build, but we're going to do it anyways. And so they, they start building. The people question them. They're like, what are you doing? Who told you you're allowed to build? Who are your leaders? Who's, who are the builders? Give us the names, and we're going to report you. And they say, no, well, the God of heaven and earth told us to build this, and so we're going to do it. So, okay, you just gave us a lot of helpful background history. Mm-hmm. Right? So essentially what we're seeing here is just like our political structures of today. There's right. governors, there's kings, there's... And so the local governors are petitioning, they're lobbying, they're using the system to maintain their own power, which is what mm-hmm. people are always doing. And so this history tells us, once again, we've seen it play out over and over again, but when the eye of God is on you... He can work out and within the structures of government, of government, yeah, as corrupt as they are, and so that's what I'm seeing here. It's it's kind of cool. Like there's there's a verse, verse five, chapter five. The eye of God, it was on them. So just keep building, and then is it okay? So Tatani, is that how you say his name? Tatani writes a letter to King Darius. Mm-hmm. Now he is actually he seems like an honest. Is he an honest guy? Or is yeah, he, yeah. He, he's not trying to destroy him. He's trying to get to the bottom of it. Or. He's trying to get to the bottom of it. They're all concerned. And so this is, out of all the letters that are written, right. this is the one that's the least deceptive and the most, like, let's give as an objective report as possible. And so he's just writing, we asked them who told them to start building the temple and uh, who were the builders, and they responded that they were ordained by God and that Cyrus had given them a decree and yes. that it should be paid. Okay. And then he asks, D- Darius, can you see if that decree is real? Because Amen. 20 years have passed, and so and it's been three kings later. So they're like, is that a real thing? Can you look into that? Darius looks into it and is like, hey, guess what? Everything they said checks out. And, I found a decree by Cyrus. And, by the way, all you guys uh, surrounding, you need to help. Like, you need to give them whatever they need to rebuild this need. temple. The timber, and here's how big the temple and the walls ought to be. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to help them get to this. And so, even all the sacrifices and all the things that they need to operate the temple, you need to give them that stuff too, because I want to make sure that they're sacrificing to their God for the welfare of me and my sons. Yeah, that's and that's the argument too. Like whenever, it's always about we want to help you, King. So we want to shut down these people who don't worship you, but mm-hmm. it backfires because God's involved. And now the king's like, no, let them build this. And in fact, help them because I want the God of their land. And so it's not that Darius or Artaxerxes are Christians or that no. they just believe these people know the God of that region. And I mm. want that God's favor. Yes. Because that's my region now. So it, it's very, it, it, that's how politics are. Mm-hmm. And uh, did but you, Did you catch his uh, warning to anyone who would stop them from rebuilding the temple? Oh, yeah. He did the Haman. He's like, if. If anyone tries to stop them from rebuilding the temple, pull a beam from their house and impale them on it. Right. 
Uh-oh. Uh, that's not good. But uh, yeah, so that's how serious this is. But again, this is the history of God's people. We see God stepping up. The final thing in today's reading, though, is uh, mm. Ezra's mm-hmm. commitment. No, that, no, no. Uh, Passover? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, His commitment cool. as, um, as a priest to, to bring the word of God. So they are going to be dedicated to the dedication of the temple and the city and the Passover, and they're going to they're gonna make sure they do it and do it right. Now, what's interesting is the numbers that are used for the bulls, like 200 rams, 400 lambs, when you compare that oh, yeah. to Solomon. I know. I mean, Solomon, it was like 12,000. Yeah. If there's, if there's 12 male goats here, it was like 1,200 yeah. for Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, the glory is not as great, but they're on the right track, and and then Ezra is this this priest who's all about um, the word of God. Well, I do. Okay, so I I liked the fact that as soon as they built the temple, they celebrated the first Passover in the land. And again, the Passover. How long has that been? It's been yeah, it's been a long time. And so, if you remember, Passover though is celebrating God's bringing them out of an oppressive state and into the promised land out of slavery out of slavery into freedom and so again it's a very political and religious movement but it's it's really awesome that they are able to do it now here's the thing is ezra now we finally catch up to ezra and he's he's during the reign of artaxerxes artaxerxes sends him out to check in on everything and in uh jerusalem and it's 50 years after the temple's been rebuilt right and so things have kind of stagnated. The walls are still not up. They're not, um, they're not secure. Like, Jerusalem is not a secure place right now. And so he's going, and he actually leaves for Jerusalem the same month that the Israelites left Egypt. Yep. Anyways, I thought that was kind of cool. So for the 50 years, they hadn't, been, they hadn't finished, even though they got the decree... To finish? They they finished the temple. But not the walls. But not the walls. Because during Artaxerxes' reign... So that's why Haggai, he mentions Haggai and people going, the prophets are saying, hey, keep working, keep giving, keep finishing the wall. Well, that's... Haggai and Zechariah were for the um, the temple, okay. specifically. And then Ezra and Nehemiah are going to be for the walls. Okay. They're going to be for the rest of the city. Well, it does make, make me think, Passover in the land. Like, when you are persecuted... So you're persecuted by these surrounding areas or by Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's a little easier to keep Passover. Oh, know? yeah. Because you're persecuted and you're like, oh, we want to be under this. We want to remember that God saves us. Mm-hmm. But the further away you get from that persecution, the more established you are as a country and safe, the less important Passover becomes mm-hmm. because you don't really need to remember a deliverance story. You're already right. good. And so it, I just think that's interesting. That's what happens in all of our hearts when we're in it. It's like, whoo, remember what Christ has done, and he'll do it again. And then when things are going well, we have a tendency to go, I mean, it's okay. I will say, <clears throat> I think Passover re- remained an important uh, festival from this moment till the time of Christ. I agree. Because they were under constant um, like subjugation yeah. from other nations from here on out. I mean, God is quiet for 400 years yeah. before Christ, and... It's because there's no real glory for... They're just always kind of an occupied people. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Let's move on to our New Testament book today. Our New Testament reading for today is Revelation chapter 11 through chapter 13, verse 1. Just want to remind everybody that as we go through these books, especially apocalyptic literature, which just means kind of visions of things appearing to them, that uh, it requires much more than we can give you on this show. <laughs> but we're giving you the highlights that keep the story moving. Yeah. And so uh, the story is definitely moving in the book of Revelation. It's actually, in light of reading all the Old Testament, it's lining up. It's, it's using language that makes sense uh, to the rest of the story. And where are we? So we're in chapter 11. 11. Where are we? So, okay. Catch me up a little bit, Matt. We're, we're within the seven seals. Six have been broken. The seventh uh, was broken, and there yes, was silence. Yes. We're still in. Then we got through that. Now we're in the trumpets within the seventh seal. So opening so. the seventh seal, there were seven trumpets. Yes. Which is like the announcing of Christ's coming. And mm-hmm. so, again, it's a vision of things on earth and in heaven. Mm-hmm. And things are being judged and saved. Right. And that's the seventh seal, like the seventh one. Mm-hmm. So the first six are like judgment on the earth, on the people, the martyrs mm-hmm. crying out, the, the four corners of the earth, third of the earth, all these things, judgment. But the seventh is the coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And within those seven, seven trumpets. Mm-hmm. And right now, and then I realized today too, there's some woes within that. And we only right, get right. the so second woe. So the first... Mm-hmm. Don't, I mean, we can just okay. keep it going. No, no, we'll okay. no, no. So... But right now, we are in the sixth trumpet was sounded. Yes. Uh, there was like a little reprieve. John, the author, is being, is ordained as a, like, his or- prophetic ministry to announce this word that's being revealed to him is ordained. And now we get to this idea in chapter 11. Uh, so he just ate the word of God. It's yes. bitter in your stomach, sweet in your mouth. It's law. Mm-hmm. Judgment and salvation. Mm-hmm. And now we have this idea of the two witnesses. And s- which makes sense because it's, it just says you're ordained, basically. Mm-hmm. You must, again, prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Right. Then chapter 11, it goes into more of this idea of prophetic witnesses, people who are speaking the truth of God on earth as mm-hmm. it is in heaven. So we get a couple things in here that are uh, callbacks to other books that we've already read. Uh, Ezekiel measuring the temple. So John is giving a measuring stick, and he's, yes. he's told to go out and measure the temple. Now, at this point, either the temple is about to be destroyed, the second temple is about to be destroyed, or has been destroyed. And what you get from this, though, either way, is that there is a holy temple that still exists, and it is comprised of the church, of the people of God. Right, and the measuring of it is basically remember this. Like, write it all yeah. down, measure it, because it's not going to be away forever. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever is going to happen on Earth, there's a real one. We have the measurements. Mm-hmm. We can recreate it, and we will recreate it. Uh, but do not measure the court outside the temple. So he's saying, like, the outer courts for all the nations, there's... Yeah. I mean, we don't... You, we can, again, I, my temptation is to get into everything, but let's just, just keep the story... The let's narrative. keep the story going. So... There's going to be two witnesses. Yes. And those two witnesses will have authority to prophesy uh, and mourn. Like, they're basically saying things are going bad unless you repent. Yes. Um, 
and it's for there's there's like days, but that's all to say it's for a, an amount, amount of time, time. Yeah. right? Yes, which is good because we're waiting. Like, when is Jesus going to come back? And so mm-hmm. the comfort and encouragement is, he know he has amount of time. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is, but there's an amount of time. But these two witnesses then are olive trees and lampstands before the Lord. Right. So this is a callback to uh, Zechariah's prophecy and his vision that he sees two olive trees filling up two lampstands in front of the Lord. And the if you remember, the olive trees were uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the governor and the high priest okay. who were rebuilding the temple. And so, again, this idea, though, is... God is anointing witnesses. And again, the significance of two witnesses is God's law requires two witnesses. It's a to, Moses thing. Uh, uh, validate true saying. Anybody's testimony needs, yeah. it's validated by two witnesses. So you have these two witnesses who are going out to prophesy that the Lord is coming back, that it, the time of repentance is near, mm-hmm. and they show great signs and wonders by... Uh, shutting rain from the, like, causing things not to rain, drought, and then also they say they can turn waters into blood. And again, if you're at all connected to the story, you start to think, oh, this sounds like Elijah and Moses. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And the idea is uh, these symbolically prophets, people will, part of the church will prophesy and announce the coming of the Lord to the world and the world will be unable to stop them until the very end and things will look okay bad. so in the past I remember having like professors and, and Christians tell me that the two witnesses were going to be they don't you don't know who they are two people and because of satellite television we'll be able to see them yeah. killed and murdered but I'm reading this and it's quite obvious that Elijah and Moses are referenced here. And then I think of the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. They are two witnesses with Christ on this mount, glorified. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, the idea here is, you could go Aaron and Moses, you could go, I mean, you could just go through the history of our people and find the witnesses who have been Mm -hmm. a lampstand, who have been oil Mm -hmm. and light to the world. And so in this particular case, though, it is, I think, you could you could nail it down to Elijah and Moses, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It's about the witnesses, the testimony of God's plan, mm-hmm. which is peace between God and man through His Son Jesus Christ. And you know this because um, they immediately are attacked. Yeah. <laughs> and when they have finished their testimony, the beast rises from the bottomless pit and will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, and symbolically called Sodom and Egypt. Uh, where the Lord was crucified. And so it's like even, I mean, I'm just reading it now because it's, it's again, symbolic language, but everyone rejoices when these prophets are dead. Yeah. People rejoice when Jesus is dead, but they raise from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's when things get interesting too, right? Yeah, so it looks like, so I would say the two witnesses are like the word of the Lord. Right. It could be law and gospel, yeah. repent and faith, repentance yeah. and absolution. It so it's the I testimony. would say when the word of the Lord looks like it's dead, people rejoice, but it's revived. And everyone, once they see, oh man, we couldn't kill this thing, or we did and it came back, uh, they all uh, tremble with fear. Right. And then um, 
So again, the idea though is the Lord is sending out his word to announce his plan that he is coming back with judgment and salvation and he's announcing it like in every other part of the story because he cares. He wants to give everyone a chance. God's wrath is completely avoidable. But the enemies, there are real enemies led by Satan who are going to work against the word. They will... It'll look like they have some victories, but God will uh, can raise to life anything the enemy kills. Yeah, I mean, it's like Ezekiel's dry bones vision yes. that we saw. He raises people up, and there's just a great war. So then we get the seventh trumpet. The angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, and they're praising God about his reign forever and ever, and then the elders have this great... Uh, they fall on their faces in worship. It's a great prayer, but it ends with you know, destroying the destroyers of the earth. Yeah, so I, I realize the seventh trumpet yeah. is, again, it's announcing, it lines up with the seventh seal. Yes. And it's announcing the world is God's now. It even says, yes. uh, the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So again, the seventh trumpet now, just like the seventh seal, which is silence before the ascension of Christ, right. it's now... We're announcing that Jesus is now the official ruler over the kingdom. And here's what that does in the final verses of chapter 11. It opens up access to the Holy of Holies. You, you, you haven't heard about the covenant, the Ark, Ark of the, the covenant, covenant for a while. But the temple is opened up and with, you know, of course, flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. But God's temple in heaven was opened. So this is the recreation. Now we're able to stand before God mm-hmm. and not be burned up. Right. And so that's how it ends. But, the, you know, it doesn't end. Well, this is how this first kind of tableau or it's the scene. vignette this... ends. So now what we're going to do is we now, and this is what's happening, is uh, you can't look at it as a linear. It's not chronological. Uh, story it is spiraling yes and so it's like okay we finished that vignette now we're going to look at the same thing from a different angle Mm -hmm. and so now in chapter 12 we're looking at the same events but now from a different angle and essentially it's the angle is god's church on earth yes so it's a great woman a great woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet like this is dominion over the earth Mm -hmm. right adam and eve stuff with the crown of 12 stars. Now, this also calls back to Joseph's vision. Yes. Uh, so, so again, this is a the people of God. The people of God. And the people of God before Christ carry Christ. It's like a, a woman. Mm-hmm. It's a great woman who has the ability to have a baby. And this baby is Christ. The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. Uh, yeah, exactly. All from um, Revelation. But there's also a great red dragon and now this is important as we get into the second kind of part of Revelation. The great red dragon has seven heads, ten horns, and then like a crown on each one. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not exactly, if you go back and, and read the description of Christ, mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Right. But he's counterfeiting. The theme is the dragon just takes what God has already created because he can't create things. Mm-hmm. He can just corrupt things. Right. And so he counterfeits and tries to look like God. Right. And so the, the with with the heads and the horns, but it's always off. Yes. Um, now he, there's, 
There's interesting things here about maybe uh, this is talking about his fall from heaven. Well, yeah, so, okay, so this is how I'm kind of seeing it. Yeah. And uh, so we have this image of this great woman who's about to give birth. The dragon is settling down in front of her, ready to devour the child as it's born. As soon as the child's born, he's going to eat it. Yes, and so if you think of this as God's holy people, Israel and the church, Mm -hmm. uh, you see, if you can gauge the story, where... It, Satan has definitely tried to devour Israel, the people of God, mm-hmm. before Christ was born. Like, in every instance, he's right. been trying to crush and snuff this people well, that's out. That's what Ezra, we're talking like about right everyone, now. Yeah. Like, they are constantly under attack, but they are always making it. Yes. God is always with them. The eye of the Lord is on them, and they're always making it through. And so... She gives birth to a male child to rule, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. And so, again, this idea that Satan's trying to devour this baby as soon as it's born, but the baby is saved, and the woman is able to flee into the wilderness. Right, which is how we live now, like as mm-hmm. resident aliens, mm-hmm. essentially, that the church that we're a part of, our, our, the Son has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and here we are, the closest to hell we'll ever be, right. which is the wilderness. But God shows up because not only uh, is he going to show up for us, but Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. Yeah, so like, now we get a heavenly battle where we have seen this already. So this is what, this is basically, yeah, we've seen this play out. With, Mike, uh, with uh, Daniel. With Daniel, but we've seen it play out over and over again just in the battles and the cycle of repentance. And But this is really from a heavenly perspective. Mm-hmm. So God is showing John, basically, here's how I see it. Yes. The woman is being attacked by the dragon. The dragon's trying to eat the child, the baby, which is awful. But I'm going to take the baby, mm-hmm. ascend to heaven, and I'm going to hide you in the wilderness where I'll nourish you. Mm-hmm. Now I got angels surrounding your, your you fighting on your behalf. Yeah, so the angels are, there's like a massive war who's called, uh, they're fighting with the dragon, who's called the devil and Satan. It's called the ancient serpent. Yes. And then the accuser, Satan, yes. Yeah, and and they finally defeat him. They throw him out of heaven, because there is an idea, like, found in Job, where he's before uh, the throne of God, accusing the people of God. But here, he's, he and his angels are thrown out of heaven, and the reason they're able to finally have this victory is because of the shed blood of Christ. Right. And, I mean, Revelation puts it clear. John puts it here. I mean, he's the accuser of the brothers who, who accuses them day and night before our God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if we think of, you know, it's like the devil. Okay, whatever. Devil's not going to mess with me. Uh, it, it's just kind of a funny idea, but the idea is there's a creature that accuses you day and night Mm -hmm. before God. Not even you. He's just saying, look at this person. Mm -hmm. They failed you again. They failed you again. There's no reason you should save them. But we have conquered the accuser by the blood of the lamb Mm -hmm. and by the word of the testimony. Right. So So we rejoice. So this ends up being like... Well, yeah. So we rejoice because he's been... His seat in heaven has been taken. But it does say... But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So I kind of see this 
now as what he's doing right now in the church age is now he is no long he is now working here yeah and trying to hurt as many people within the church as possible well check out this too the dragon then pursues the church realizing mm-hmm. i've lost this heavenly battle yes. i'm here now so i'm just going to destroy the woman yes so then he opens up his mouth and creates this ginormous river to wash her away to drown her mm-hmm. but he, it's like he doesn't get it we are the baptized we are the ones who walk through the red sea we walk through the jordan we are baptized so like we survived the flood man mm-hmm. And so, in this case, he's just trying to kill us with water. Yeah. And the earth, though, the third character of the story, the earth opens up and swallows the river. Yes. And the dragon becomes furious with the woman and then goes off to make war on the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God. And so, he stood on the sand of the sea and his chaotic throne of the ocean mm-hmm. to drown us and destroy us, which is funny because now you think of, wait, God put a rainbow out there to say, oh, you, the world will never be flooded again. Yes. And this is his choice of death. Mm-hmm. I'd like to flood the whole place and just drown you all. Yeah. Um, but we come through that in our baptism. Right. And so this is all symbolic language, but this is what it looks like, people, that we are the woman being pursued to death, accused, uh, Attempted murder on us all the time, mm-hmm. but we're the ones who hold on to Christ. Right. And so uh, we get this one last, we end on this one last verse to intro the next section, which is uh, John sees another beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. Oh, here we go. All right. That's the teaser for next time, right? Yes. Were we supposed to go to 13.1? Yeah. Oh. First one. So there's more beasts to come. So I know we haven't answered every question, but right. I will just to sum it up if you've been listening. The story is lining up exactly with the story of our lives and the story that we've seen play out through uh, Adam and Eve, through Abraham, through the Exodus, through Joshua, that you, you can just see mm-hmm. there are enemies. And, the, and this is a fundamental enemy... There's a hatred for God, and we are but the people of God. So the comfort for us, no matter what era you're in, is that God cares. He's battling. He's actually already won. And if you can hold on, you will stand tall. Hold on to uh, Christ. Yeah. Our psalm for today is Psalm 145, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.